episode 28. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Thanks again for joining us here at Strange Brow Radio. Today's guest is Ren Varney out of Cottage Grove, Oregon, the new technician of the Owl Moon Lab, Site 1. He'll be joining us here shortly and telling us all about the latest. I want to thank our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, Etsy.com, shaman-inspired drums, rattles, smudge fans. You got to see this stuff to believe it. Go to the Etsy store, type in Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, at Etsy.com. All right, next up, Cottage Grove, Oregon. There was some, well, almost a sighting. Actually, there was a sighting, but we'll save that story for another day of a Sasquatch. Yeah, July is like Sasquatch month. I'm going to have to make it Sasquatch month here. All right, we'll be right back. Rin Varney took over the Al Moon Lab back in, oh, I would say May, April of 2019, and has been working that case ever since of the Adams property. And if you don't know anything about the Al Moon Lab, um, well, I'll tell you here now. We're going to talk about it. It's a paranormal hot spot, and Rin Varney had a pretty interesting encounter with what sounds like Bigfoot situation. So let's sit back, grab yourself a cold one, and let's hear Ren Varney's perspective on the Al Moon Lab. We're here with Ren Varney. How are you, Ren? Hey, I'm great, Toby. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling in to the show. It's uh, always nice to hear a familiar voice. And I told uh, the audience a little bit about you, but um, as a reminder here to everybody, Ren has worked as, uh, I guess you would say, an assistant, a padwan for the great uh, (laughs) now deceased uh, Lloyd Pye and Lauren Coleman. Uh, If anybody doesn't know who Lauren Coleman is and is into cryptozoology, well, shame on you. But you have have quite a... uh, a record of your own working with people and both those guys it's interesting i mean both those men are men of science but yet they both had some varying ideas uh on you know the nature of reality as we know it but when it came to sasquatch um they're of mind of a flesh and blood but tell me a little bit yeah. about about yourself and how you um how you got messed up in all this I messed up is a funny way to put it. Uh, It's funny because it's true. But uh, born and raised in New England, growing up in the forest out there, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents always told us stories of the the monkey man of the woods, um, often called the koi dog as well, which is definitely a different creature. It's a wolf-coyote mix. There's even a cool documentary about it. I think it's on Netflix. But... um, Koi dog, my grandfather used to use as the term for the hairy man in the woods to try not to scare the kids. So I remember growing up, 
uh, maybe a fence was knocked down or there was apples missing from a tree or just random things moved around in the yard. And then my grandfather would always tell us these stories. And I remember being a child and my mom being afraid one night because she said somebody was looking in the window and uh, she said he had a hairy forehead and a long broad nose. And um, that sparked my interest in Bigfoot Sasquatch from a young age. Um, but in general, my actual studies started <laughs> probably in elementary school. I remember getting in trouble and I've told the story a few times, but I got in trouble, I think it was in second grade, but I, I got a Bigfoot group together on recess and I got all these kids together. And um, I remember this one girl, Christy had this like loud screen. So she was on the crew and all my other friends had like unique abilities and I'm like, all right, cool. We're going to go out and yell towards the woods. And I got in trouble. I had to sit time out on the bench for the rest of recess because it was too loud. That caused a ruckus. Pretty hilarious. And I remember my teacher said, need I say more? And I'll never forget that because I was like, what? What does that mean? Need I say more? No, I'll never forget that situation. Um, but uh, Jumping ahead, um, one of my best um, study experiences was um, I was a full-time musician for a long time. So um, we would travel and uh, the part of our rider was take us to an abandoned place. We want to explore abandoned places. And um, so we'd always go to um, different buildings, like old factories. Uh, we went to a couple old um, like carnival setups with like fun little fun houses, you know, those houses that are built sideways and crooked to make it appear like gravity doesn't work, like a vortex or something. And that was pretty neat. Never got any experience. That was more or less like ghost hunting, I suppose. Um, but uh, during one of our breaks, I went to New Hampshire, where my mom lived and dad at the time, and uh, found a really cool, just like a Google search. Uh, I was there for two weeks. I had two weeks off. And, All right, cool. Stay with mom and dad for a while. Haven't seen them in a while. And um, there was, I don't remember the name of this website. It's a Bigfoot blogging website. Probably still exists. I'll, I'll have to reference this later. Um, but there was an account right outside of Effingham, New Hampshire, very close to my folks, of the 1960s or 70s, uh, this group of people who were out looking for uh, minerals and rocks. And they had a, a clear account of a gray bipedal ape with a structure, like a little hut or a house. And that's the first time I've ever read it in my studies about any type of structure other than um, leaning sticks and markers. So I was like, oh, that's really neat. And I'm here and it's right down the road. They literally had GPS coordinates. That's why I need to find this website. So I used, this was way before I even had an iPhone. So I used like my dad's like Garmin that he had for GPS coordinates and walked out on these old walking roads in New Hampshire. And this is the first time I ever got I mean, to me, definite evidence. Um, I've got the pictures. It's pretty cool. Perfect footprint that's at least a day old. Um, you can almost see the dermal ridges. You can see the toes. Uh, fantastic, fantastic footage. And uh, then uh, the further I went up in the trail, there was the first time that I've ever seen um, trees that were twisted and bent. And this was probably about 2004. So I don't know if this was documented before, but I know I never read about it. And it was the first time I've ever seen it. I've got pictures for that as well. 
and that piqued my interest even more saying, okay, cool. I've read these articles. I've been a, basically a fan, I guess you could say a big foot my whole life. Um, heard all these accounts that had crazy things happen when I was a kid, when we were camping in the scouts. Um, but I found something. So I'm like, I need to do something with this. What am I going to do? Well, down the road is Portland, Maine, who happens to live there, but Lauren Coleman. Lauren Coleman's the head of the Cryptozoology Museum. He's a founder. He's a, a huge, he's one of the mainstream, you know, Bigfoot publishers, um, amazing books about all sorts of cryptozoological life in New England, especially in particular where I grew up. So I talked to Sam when we met up and um, our line of study from then on out in between me being on the road was actually not looking for Bigfoot, but trying to figure out whether or not there was cougars and mountain lions living in Maine. Um, long story short, we, they exist 100%, but the, uh, uh, the forestry department uh, refuses to accept it, um, claiming that it's going to infiltrate or affect their housing and uh, people's tax dollars. It, it's a whole money scheme of the reason why they're hiding everything about quote unquote mountain lions living in Maine because they don't want people to not go there on vacation and live there. Um, but we found that we did that together. That was really cool. One of the coolest experiences. And um, throughout my touring, um, traveling the world, uh, experiencing all sorts of Bigfooting expeditions, um, to Japan, uh, then to every continental state except Alaska and Hawaii. Um, I don't believe there's anything happening in Hawaii. Um, after I started, stopped playing music, I ended up moving to the panhandle of Florida, right outside of Panama City, and studying the, the skunk ape, as they call it. And right outside of Panama City is when I met Lloyd Pye. And he was just putting on at the local library a little talk. And I've read his books before. And I was like, oh, cool. I didn't even know this guy lives here. I want to go meet him. So um, I watched his lecture. Um, one of my favorite books ever is Everything You Know Is Wrong by Lloyd Pye. Um, it's all about how the earth was created, how humans were actually genetically created from this race called the Anunnaki from planet Nibiru, which is on a 3,400-year elliptical orbit around our Earth. I could get into that, you know, 100 miles an hour. But um, anyway, I was a fan of his. I got to see his lecture, and he had the the, uh, the child alien skull that was found in uh, Mexico, I believe. He had it with him. And uh, after his lecture, I was like, can I, can I hold it? And he said, yeah, absolutely. He said, do you want a picture? I said, no, I just want to touch it. I just want to be around this thing, this like cool artifact that I've already heard so much about. And uh, he, he was drawn to me for some reason. I guess maybe I look different. I've got a lot of tattoos and stuff. I got my Bigfoot tattoos. So we, we got on the conversation of the, the bipedal ape species and how it possibly exists on Earth and the lineage of in the fossil record. There's, there's hominids. But the difference is hominids and hominoids and how do humans fall into that? Um, you know, you can trace the fossil lineage of a chimpanzee or a, an orangutan or a gorilla. Um, you can follow them throughout the fossil history, but they evolved and humans are. So his huge argument and me predecessing under him, it was 
we need to find a way how humans fall into this record, but there aren't any fossils. Um, and that's why he believes that Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the, the Yaren, Yahweh, you name it, they all do exist, but they're actually hominoid. They were the species that we have the fossils of that have evolved over time and still exist to this day. And when humans came along, according to him, when the Nibiru people came here, the Anunnaki, they came here to, to mine for gold in order to save their atmosphere. They were destroying our atmosphere with toxic acids or something. And they're like, okay, cool, planet Earth, we go by here every 3,400 years. Let's go here and get some gold. So they did, and then they realized, oh, you know, this planet's a lot smaller. The gravity is a lot tougher. We don't want to do the work, but there's these hairy little monkey people. Let's mix our genes together. So they created, in essence, the, the human being as we know it to do their labor, to be their slaves, to do all of their gold mining. And, I mean, long story short, they left us behind. And here we are because we're not adapted to this planet. We're half adapted. Half of our ancestor is the bipedal ape species, which I believe the Bigfoot Sasquatch are the actual terrestrial creatures of this planet. And they've always been here. They've been evolving for generations, years, millions of years. And um, when they seeded us, human beings, this cross species on planet Earth, um, they basically introduced a, uh, an invasive species. Humans are an invasive species to this planet. Um, just like the wild boar in the Southeast, they, they just take over. We destroy, we build, um, we just demolish everything because we're not adapted to this planet. We're not real. Um, so what we did once we started building cities and um, having generations of humans, we, we scared out the apes. We, we made them go into the highest mountains, the deepest forest, the, uh, the, just the, the spooky dark places that we don't want to go because we want to live in the ideal situation of, you know, fresh water, ocean breeze, all the nice anemone or I don't know that word, but all the nice things that humans like. So that's where these guys are. This is where the Bigfoots are. They're in the deepest valleys. They're in the thickest jungles. And they're places that humans don't want to live, the swamps of Florida. Um, Lloyd and I actually, we did this expedition. It was so cool. Um, we went down to the Everglades and he got funded by, um, I think it was Florida State University. So we got funded to go down there to um, look for um, the skunk ape, as they called it. And um, he got a fan boat. I didn't get to go on the fan boat. Uh, he did that. He was there a day before me, but um, they, they went out and deep, deep into the other Everglades. Um, the first day and then I met up with him and we took a little like charter boat up this this river it must have been at least 50 miles I mean I'm talking hours up this river nothing nothing to be seen alligators and snakes and bugs and ugh, terrible I hate Florida <laughs> but um, we were just trying to account what these guys were telling us these uh, these hunters they're alligator hunters they're like oh yeah nope the grass man's out there the nope there's the skunk ache you can smell them uh, it smells like a skunk and garbage and armpits. And um, we were taking every all of these accounts to find a specific location. So we got to this spot, and we didn't even camp out, but maybe two nights out there, and <laughs> we discovered Boyd comes knocking on my tent. And he's like, hey, hey, get up. And it was like early in the morning. The sun was getting up five in the morning. 
And I was like, what's up? He's like, dude, there's a freaking chimpanzee outside. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So we get up and we go out just right outside where our little camp spot, we were on like a little hill. We were in the Everglades, but we had this like little dry hill patch that we set up a cool tent. There was like four guys there. And um, right across the way, there was a group of chimpanzees. There's three of them. And it looked like a mom, dad, and a baby. And they're just hanging out doing chimpanzee things. They're picking in the mud, the little baby swinging on a little fern, like Everglades type of tree. And uh, 100% we saw African chimpanzees in the Everglades of Florida. Um, so we went to the state department to show them our findings. I'm sure all that's on the internet somewhere. And um, they're like, oh, well, this is interesting. Um, how do you think this happened? So Lloyd and I kind of talked about it. He was the one that had the reins on this whole operation. But um, him and I, like our discussion, long story short, we think Hurricane Andrew back in 1990 um, it, uh, destroyed the local zoo. And we think that's what happened. All the animals got out and the Florida environment is full of food and all sorts of things for any creature to survive. That's why the snakes are extremely out of control down there. Um, th these chimpanzees, they got out of the zoo and they live and they have a healthy breeding group of chimpanzees from Africa that now live in the Everglades of Florida. And um, they, they thrive. They're going to be there forever. Um, but that was the biggest thing that uh, Lloyd and I worked together on. Um, and uh, he died shortly after that. I was, I was with him days before um, he told me to, I think he released a video on YouTube. He was like, the government got me. They're catching up to me. And he thinks they are the ones that poisoned him with his cancer that he died from. Um, I'm not really sure the dude was always really healthy until, until he got diagnosed. And then it was a downhill battle from there. But you know, rest in peace, old friend. Thank you for everything. Um, but after that, um, I kind of just laid low in the cryptozoology world. I was considered myself a field researcher, cryptozoologist, something in between there, um, artist as well. And um, from Florida, I, I moved um, to Oregon, where I've always wanted to be. Traveled there a lot um, as a musician. Couldn't wait to be out in the Pacific Northwest with the beautiful coastline and the nice temperate weather. And everybody's like, oh, it rains all the time. Okay, cool. We'll keep that rumor going. It doesn't, <laughs> but that's fine. And uh, I was living in Portland for a few years, met my wife, and uh, got a job opportunity towards the Eugene area um, and just went on Craigslist and found this beautiful farm, farmhouse, eight-acre farmhouse for cheaper than our studio apartment was in Portland. And it was a commute to Eugene for my job, but I said, let's, let's do this. So we met the property owner. Ended up uh, a week or so later, maybe last, he called and said, hey, congratulations, you guys got the place. We were super stoked. Moved down here September and uh, just just kind of lived here. I didn't really think, I, I've always gone out in the woods and my wife will tell you, and every time we go camping or something, I'm always yelling and doing goops and looking for Bigfoot stuff. But I've never really put myself out there to, to be like, hey, if you know anything, uh, reach out to me or investigate more or anything among those means I've always just kind of kept it private since working with Lloyd and um well after living here a few months I ran into you so uh your podcast randomly came on 
was, my wife and I were getting brunch one day, sitting at Axe and Fiddle, and uh, you, you had the it was the Tasmanian Tiger, the thylacine uh, episode, and you came up and you said, Are "You here for the show?" I'm like, "Well, I wasn't, but I'm definitely here now." And you said, "Do you know about the Tasmanian Tiger?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, the thylacine," and that's when we met. Which is funny because I'm sitting in my office right now and I have an old 1940 sketch of a thylacine right in front of my desk. Um, I always thought those guys were super cool. I'd love to go down there and check it out. I, I still believe that they, there's definitely a breeding species that live out there. Um, but you and I met and we talked and then you said, hey, we got to check out this property that's out here. And um, there's some activity going on. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And we exchanged numbers and we met up towards the property turns out i'm basically the dude's neighbor <laughs> and this is kind of where everything's going right now this is where we are at this moment um uh daryl right um he's a uh, owl moon Labs current property owner um we are yet to know what's going to happen with that i'm going to try to correspond with the new people moving in because apparently they're they're into um, supernatural thing, maybe I've heard that, but uh, I'll get their contacts and I'll try to continue the studies you've been doing there. And, um, but it all comes down to, I guess, this conversation, what happened on, uh, well, let's, yeah, let's hold that. Let's hold that baby. Cause that's a, we're talking less than 72 hours old, right? This happened, uh, yeah. what we're going to get into, uh, 72 hours ago or less, but, First of all, I want to congratulate yep. you on uh, a discovery of a breeding population of chimpanzees in the Florida Everglades. If that's so, <laughs> and I have no reason to doubt you or, or Lloyd about that. Um, that's never mm-hmm. made the news. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about the Burmese pythons and, you know, s- supersized crocodiles and skunk Correct. apes here and there. But as far as, uh, you know, chimpanzees, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing. And it blows my mind that it hasn't actually made mainstream public. I haven't Googled it in a while. So I don't know if there's actually any type of documentation that is out there. Um, I, that was all in Lloyd's hands. Um, like I said, I was basically this upcoming predecessor. So I don't know what was actually released or if it was released. Um, Lauren Coleman and I also experienced an issue when it came with the whole mountain lions living in Maine and New Hampshire. Um, we went to the government officials and the forestry department and they said, they basically said, okay, yes, we know, but shut up about it. Don't say anything. That's it. Nothing ever got released. We got game footage camera. That stuff is probably more accessible on the internet about the um, mountain lions and cougars living in Maine. Um, but the, it's just interesting. Once you hit and find something and you go to whoever government official you should go to, or maybe even town hall. Um, they sent the, they agree. Okay. This is interesting. This is new information. And they kind of throw you around. Oh, you need to talk to these people in this department of land management or, uh, the forestry. And it spreads itself so thin, which is my concern for probably what happened with the, uh, the chimpanzee species. I'm actually, really surprised i don't get good internet here i was trying to google it myself i am very surprised it hasn't been released to the mainstream public but that's kind of what happens that's why we're in this conspiracy world (laughs) we discover things and we see things and for some reason it gets 
hidden behind cloaks and mirrors. Well, and it dovetails nicely into what we're going to be talking about. You know, if people think for a moment that departments like the Department of Interior, Department of Forestry, or Fish and Wildlife don't have secret species on the books. Um, you and I have heard otherwise. Right. Um, I've heard grizzly bears down in Roseburg, Oregon, uh, Alaskan moose right. in Oak Ridge, Oregon, uh, timber wolves out the Cascade Valley, up the McKenzie Willamette mm-hmm. area. So there's there's reason to believe that they absolutely do keep these kind of secrets and that you, you just kind of have to wonder what else they keep secret and um you know maybe that's exactly what we're going to move in and talk about now when you moved uh into the farmhouse there it was some months later till you and i met did uh, did you have any idea that uh you were near the cottage grove lake where the london tracks were cast at that time back in 2012 no actually that yeah 2012 the most amount of bigfoot footprints have been where plaster casted and documented and big news, like the, one of the biggest news in the Bigfoot world. I knew of that news. I had no freaking clue that that's where I live. But I drove by that spot every day to come home to my house every day. And I lived there ground zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that until I met you. And we were discussing how, you know, we have a few friends in common, um, Cliff Brackman from uh, Finding Bigfoot and things like that. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I live in a Bigfoot hotspot. This is exactly where I want to live. And then I threw on the old YouTube and I'm like, oh, let's find out the old London episode. And I'm like, no kidding. That's exactly right here. So I, I literally didn't know it hit me blindsided mm-hmm. because of my passions and my past studies. So it, it was I'm honored to live here. I'm my wife and I. We're so blessed to have a beautiful farm and our garden and our, mm-hmm. our livestock. Um, but it's it's really awesome that I met you, and then through you, I met um, Daryl. And mm-hmm. I go out in the woods three nights a week now, and I get activity on, on my property. Not necessarily Bigfoot Sasquatch activity, but I'm getting lights in the sky and these orbs that are extremely active on a daily basis. I'm going to say six out of seven days a week, there's something. And um, okay, well, let's let's, let's talk about that. You know, one of the uh, first things that we talked about is uh, the the connective tissue between the paranormal being linked to Sasquatch for better or for worse, it, it just won't go away. And whether or not the two mm-hmm. have anything to do with one another, um, you've had some strange things happen on your own property aside from uh, the Al Moon Lab property. What kind of things have happened on your own land that you would classify as unusual but not necessarily linked? Um, well, the first thing was that you, you and some of our associates know um, – we had an incident where um, we had, our chickens went missing. Um, my wife called me up from work, hysterical. The chickens are gone. They're dead. Their bodies are everywhere. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm coming home. Came home. We had four chickens, um, two black ones, two white ones, little, cute little silky, silky chickens. And um, on the ground, I found two piles of what appeared to be the remnants of the two white ones. So 
both of these piles literally looked like you, you could see an indentation in the um, uh, the hay, the grass in the field where they lay where they've been laid down. And the only thing that was left was feathers in their head. On both, there are two separate piles. They're about probably fifty feet apart from one another, and um, it was just bizarre. There wasn't really blood. There wasn't really anything. There was just an indentation, like a like an asteroid impact of a hole um, in the grass. This was March, May. This was probably May, so the grass was nice and green around here, and it was just an impact in the grass. Two different spots. Twelve chickens, the white ones, totally just feathers and a head left. And then the two black ones, completely missing. Gone. We found a couple feathers down our driveway, which is hundreds of yards away, but it was they were just completely gone. And I think it was about three days later, I ended up finding one of our black chickens. She hid in the corner of the, their coop and went under one of the freaking hay bales and one night i went out there and i said out loud like bring my chickens back where are my chickens because you know it's so sad when you raise these animals from little babies and you survive in the winter when the electricity goes out because you got four feet of snow and you're stuck at home for two weeks and then you know we, we they, they survived we were just so excited to have them over the winter and um but i found one i found a little girl gloria she got a little afro too she's just the cutest little chicken and she was alive, so we rejoiced, and we still, uh, you know, she's our favorite chicken still. She's happy. But um, it was just very bizarre. I went out there three nights later and was like, where's our chickens? And I move a hay bale for no reason, found our chickens. Super weird. The white ones, don't know. It looked like they were literally, like, just laser blasted out of nowhere, and everything, all of their flesh was just gone, and the only thing that was left was feathers in their head. Super bizarre. It could have been a raccoon. I don't know. Maybe I've talked to a few people about it. Some people are like, that was Bigfoot. Others are like, no, that was maybe a mountain lion or a raccoon or a bobcat. And the other black one is nowhere to be seen. So I don't know. Um, that, that was the first thing that um, you turned me on to. Like, ooh, that seems very peculiar. That doesn't seem like a normal predator type of situation of raiding a coop and Destroying chickens and feathers everywhere because there wasn't. It was well, Ren was a feathers. If I remember correctly, didn't you say that the feather stack and with the head by it was um, inside a lock inside the locked coop? Yes, that's right. One of them was. Okay. The one was inside the locked coop. You're right. Yep. And at the very secure coop, I've uh, I've secured it even more. But yeah, thank you for reminding me. One of them was actually inside the coop. Okay. And uh, the other one is right outside the coop in the field. Okay, yeah, but they're about fifty feet away from one another. It was strange. Um, and the feathers were stacked. The, the feathers were stacked, kind of in a the pile. Feathers were placed in a pile about the size of a dinner plate, but with the indentation of pressure, like a little crater in the grass, mm-hmm. as if it had been there for weeks, but it was only there for maybe hours. Um, it was. It's a noticeable indent. Mm-hmm. where each one of these feather piles with the head was left. And they were identical. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no difference between the head being in this spot on one and then maybe the head was farther away. No, there was a pile of feathers indented into the ground mm-hmm. with the heads right there. Yeah. 
particular, no, I no don't fe- know. No feathers uh, like strewn about all over the coop or just like a sign of it trying to get away with, you know, feathers. No like sign of would... struggle. Okay. No sign of struggle. And uh, interesting enough, too, our coop is attached to our um, our goat pen. Mm-hmm. And the goats had zero sign of any type of traumatic anything. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't spooked. They they were just hanging out that day. Hey, yep, whatever. If something happened, we don't know what happened. <laughs> but yeah, I think right. if there was a predator, they would have been spooked. They're very sensitive animals. Mm-hmm. So that, you that have was some, peculiar. Very strange. You have some strange goings on, also in the house. Well, on occasion, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear some little creaks and bunks and sometimes mm-hmm. like something, a noise, like a slap on a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, the activity hasn't really, it's funny because, um, when you and I were talking about our activity in the house, it seems it's kind of like gone away in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I was working and my wife worked from home. So she was home a lot more than me and she's experienced these things, but she hasn't checked the off the record about it. Um, but, uh, we've definitely encountered those things together. Um, mostly what we get on our property is these visual orbs in the sky. Um, these bright lights that change color, um, often flash and light up the whole sky for a split second. And it's almost like they're kind of communicating because it's like every night, I could have anybody over and be like, hey, let's go walk in the back field and skywatch. We're going to see one of these things or multiple ones. Um, Daryl and I saw a whole bunch the other night when we were out on our adventure. And um, it's, it's the same lights. These lights tend to um, come from the forest or hover in the forest. Um, they f- fluctuate in size. Um, I, I like to say that the size of like a Volkswagen bug. Um, when they're in full bright contrast, like when you look at the North Star, when you see Jupiter, like the brightest star in the sky, it's like that bright, but much lower and it's obviously moving mm-hmm. and they have sporadic movement. Um, the ones that we see at our property sway almost like if you were to look at a clock that has a pendulum. So they do this pendulum sway and during the sway, they tend, the brightest they get, it looks like, like I said, the Volkswagen size. Um, all the way down to what looks like a dull star, but then they'll expand. And Daryl calls it this like jellyfish effect where it almost looks like, actually we had this discussion the other night. Um, there's uh, these sound tests that people do where you, you, you play a tone and you have um, a plate with sand on top and this tone, once you vibrate it, the A sharp, it'll vibrate and it turns the sand into a pattern. And it's almost a geometric pattern. It's really cool if you've ever seen these. Every note, every tone has a different pattern and um, it looks like one of those. So what I want to do is find out that tone. So I'm going to try to take Daryl's footage and my footage and make get more footage to see if I can figure out if that is a tone. Um, I have a very, very strong feeling that if I can discover this tone, be it any note, it could be anything. Um, me and Henry Franzoni were talking about this too. We think that could be the fabric of time and space, this weird vortex that's happening in Cottage Grove. 
that could be a sign of what tone it is. And if we can utilize that and find it, maybe we can open it. Maybe we can open that portal if that's what's going on. I don't know. That's totally outside of my realm of everything I've ever studied in my past, but this is what I'm experiencing. Well, and so many people talk about this vibrational state where things can flutter in and out of other dimensions by raising and lowering their vibration. So you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what this vibrational state is based upon the size and shape of an object. And I know what you mean. I can't remember what that is called when they take the sand on a plate and play a, you know, like a bass tone underneath it to change the shape of the right. sand. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very clever idea. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about uh, recently. And um, especially watching the footage that we got from Daryl, your mm-hmm. enhanced footage, when it, when it does the jellyfish effect that we see it getting larger, which mm-hmm. you can see with your own eyes when you actually go out in the woods and see this, it, to me, it looks like one of those sound shapes. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to get back in touch with Henry and maybe we can figure this out together and do a really neat experiment here in the woods and see if we can actually open that this this weird vortex of strange phenomenon that's happening in this particular spot of Cottage Grove. It's it's this valley that comes down mm-hmm. from the old BLM logging road down towards the creek by Daryl's house with all of this, um, uh, what do they have, like quartz crystal springs and the power lines. There's just a lot of energy going on. And I think there it's a uh, it's something I, I want to try. This is my newest thing I'm going to do. And for people that don't know who Henry Franzoni is, uh, check out the name. Check out the book Spirit of Seattle. Type in the name in uh, YouTube, and you'll find some old vintage uh, Nat Geo footage of Henry in his cabin. Uh, he's <laughs> one of the forefathers of Sasquatch research. He was adequately funded, I believe, uh, with Peter Byrne. Uh, uh, on Mount Hood uh, for a period of five years Mm -hmm. to research the subject. But Henry um, thinks that this is a a supernatural answer. Uh, There's a supernatural question. There's a supernatural answer. And, you know, uh, whatever the paranormal really means, it's unanswered science. It doesn't 